Hey guys, Pastor David here. Uh, welcome to Victory Church. We're excited that you have uh, found us, that you're joining us today. We're a community of authentic, spirit-led Christ followers transformed to walk in victory. That is our vision here at Victory Church, and that is what we're praying will become a reality for us as a church here at Victory. So I'm glad that you guys found us. I'm glad that you're joining us today, and we're excited about kicking off this sermon here in just a moment. So last week, we continued on in this gospel series that we've been in. We've been in this series for, for some time now, and um, we continue diving in through this journey with Jesus and some of the last moments of his life that ultimately will lead us where we're at today to the cross. We talked about how um, the, the, point, the point of a journey in the first place ultimately is to lead us to a certain location, to a certain destination. And when it comes to the gospel, this gospel message, everything about this gospel message ultimately leads us to a certain location, a certain destination, and that destination is the cross. The destination is the cross. So we've been in this series now. This is the seventh week that we've been in this series. Everything that we've talked about up to this point, this seventh sermon, everything has led us to the point that we're at now, what we're going to be covering today, which is the cross. Everything all the way back to the beginning, when we hit on the very first sermon, Genesis chapter 3, when sin first entered the world. We invited it into our lives, into the world around us. It corrupted not only our lives and our personal relationships, but our relationship with God, the perfect relationship that we were created for from the beginning. And it corrupted everything. Everything that we've hit on has led us to this point. And we're going to see how sin has not only corrupted our lives personally, but it just continued to go on down the line. And last week, we ended this sermon um, and we saw that sinful separation that it caused, the, the separation that sin caused um, with this man named Peter. Peter, he's like the seemingly great man of God, this great follower of Jesus Christ. He had a front row seat to all of Jesus' sermons. All these uh, the miracles that we read about in the Gospels, Peter was there. He saw all of this. Peter not only followed Jesus for three years, he straight up lived with Jesus for three years, for three years. And yet still, when it came to the end of Jesus' life, Peter, the seemingly great man of God, seemingly great follower of Jesus Christ, denied Jesus, not just once, not just twice, but three times he denied Jesus. And we're going to continue to see the repercussions of this sinful separation, the separation that sin has caused between us and God as we dive into the, further into this life of Jesus, our Lord, our Savior, God in flesh, who his been tortured. He's about to be tortured. He's about to be killed by the very people that he came to save. The very people that he came to save. The big idea today is the gospel is about a cross. The gospel is about a cross. As we continue on this journey, um, something that's important for us to understand right off the bat, before we dive any further, is the fact that the things we're going to be diving into, what happened to Jesus, Nothing took him by surprise. He knew everything that was going to happen, the beatings, the, the torture hanging on the cross, death. He knew everything that was going to happen before it ever happened. Nothing took him by surprise. As we read this account, don't read this account as if Jesus is this pitiful Savior that couldn't even save himself. That is not what this is about. Jesus Christ knew exactly what was going to happen. He even warned his disciples prior to any of this happening. He warned his disciples what was going to happen. This was his plan. This was the mission from the very beginning. And not just from the beginning of his life when he was born in Bethlehem as a baby. I'm talking about from the very beginning. 
all the way back in Genesis chapter 3 when sin first entered the world. This has always been Jesus' mission, to go to the cross. The account that we're reading about, that we're going to be diving into today, is the God of the universe coming down into our muck, willingly coming down into our muck for no other reason, no other reason whatsoever other than to save us. That's it. That's the only reason. And the only way that God, that Jesus can save us from our death penalty is by going to the cross that was meant for us. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for what you've done for us by sending your son, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, for dying on that cross. Thank you for this gospel message that we've been diving into. God, I pray that you help, to help us to understand what you've done, the gravity of what you've done for us. I pray that if there's anybody here that has never responded to this gospel message that does not know you, I pray that you open hearts and minds today. God, I pray that you break off the chains of things in our life that are keeping us from you, God. I pray that we are impacted by the things that we talk about, the things that we hear, God, that these aren't things that we just read about or hear about, but that we are impacted by them and that we actually live them out as a love language to you, God. Holy Spirit, I pray that you flood this place, that you flood this sermon, take over this sermon, God. I pray that everything that is done here today and said here today is for your glory, Jesus. In your name I pray. We love you. Amen. Amen. So as we continue on in this, in this journey with Jesus, the journey that we started last week, um, we left off again with Peter. He denies Jesus three times. Okay? And while, Jesus, or while Peter is denying Jesus three times, in the middle of that, Jesus is being questioned. He was questioned by several different people. One of them was the high priest. Um, he was questioned by several people. And then what they do is they take Jesus to this man named Pontius Pilate. Now, the reason that they take Jesus to this man, Pontius Pilate, is because Pontius Pilate was a Roman governor, all right? And what we have to understand is, see, the Jews were under Roman rule at that day, in that day and age. They were under Roman rule. So they take Jesus to Pontius Pilate. Pontius Pilate, this Roman governor, is the only one that is allowed to issue a death sentence, okay? Not even a high priest can issue a death sentence to anyone. Why? Because they're under Roman rule. It has to be this Roman governor that's in charge of them. He's the only one. That's why Jesus is taken to this man, Pontius Pilate, to be questioned. That is what these people want, these Jews. They want Jesus to be killed. They want him to be killed. And so we find out something really interesting when we dive into this account between Pontius Pilate and Jesus. As Pontius Pilate, this man, is questioning Jesus. See, what happens in this moment is as he's questioning Jesus, he does it himself, for one, but we have to understand the Romans, they were known for the brutality and for their cruelty. They were not known to, to be merciful people. They were very cruel, very brutal people. They would not just give someone mercy for no reason. They didn't do that. So as Pontius Pilate questions Jesus himself and then goes out in front of all the Jews and he says, I find no fault in him, what he is saying is literally, I have questioned him myself. This guy is innocent. He has done absolutely nothing wrong. And he tells that to all these Jews that have just brought Jesus to him. He has done nothing wrong wrong. I've questioned him myself. I find no fault in him. And then he takes it a step further and he says, in fact, I will release him right now. He's free to go. If you want me to, I will release him. He's free to go. No punishment, no charge right here, right now. If you want me to, I will go ahead and release him. And that's what Pontius Pilate, this Roman uh, governor, again, they were known for their brutality and their uh, cruelty. That is what he is saying about Jesus. But what do these Jews do. 
What do they, these Jews do right after Pontius Pilate says that? They say no. They scream no. Release Barabbas. Release Barabbas. Now, Barabbas, what we know about him, no if ands, or buts about it, this guy is guilty. He's 100% guilty. He is a murderer, amongst other things. This is a very guilty man. And what they are saying, what the Jews are saying in that moment is, we would rather a, a guilty criminal who we know is guilty, a murderer, go free than Jesus. We would rather him go free, Barabbas, than Jesus Christ. Give us Barabbas instead. And so Barabbas is freed in Jesus' place. Now, we could try to dive into this man's life, into Barabbas' life, to see, okay, what in all did this guy do? Yes, he was a murderer. What else did he do? Why did he do it? Who was this guy anyways? And there's nothing wrong with that. We could try to pick that apart and see what he did, why he did it. But ultimately, when we read this text, when we try to you know, read that and we see that this man, Barabbas, was released in Jesus' place, ultimately what we should understand is that Barabbas represents us. Barabbas represents you and me. He represents us. Guys, Jesus Christ did not deserve anything, anything at all that was done to him. But Barabbas was guilty. He was a guilty. He was a real man that did real crimes. He was guilty. And guess what? So were we. So were we. But in God's incredible love and in his incredible grace, he sent Jesus Christ, God in flesh, to take our place, to take on our penalty. As we continue diving into this story, we're about to pick up in some scripture, and we're going to keep on going from there. That's kind of a little backstory, but we're going to be in John chapter 19 primarily today, but this has just happened. Okay, John chapter 18, the very end of that chapter, Barabbas has just been released. And as we keep on going in this text, so we keep on diving into this in the very beginning of chapter 19 of John, I want to encourage us to do something. I want to encourage you, when you read that account, when you see Barabbas' name, put your place in his name. Put your name in his place. And as we read this account about what Jesus Christ did, understand that, man, that not only could have been me, that should have been me. That should have been me. As we read about what Jesus Christ went through and what he did, we need to understand that that should have been us. He did this for us. Let's keep on going in this journey with John chapter 19, verses 1 through 3. It says, Then Pilate took Jesus and had him flogged. The soldiers also twisted together a crown of thorns, put it on his head, and clothed him in a purple robe. And they kept coming up to him and saying, Hail, King of the Jews, and were slapping his face. The type of flogging that Jesus received, the, the whipping that Jesus received, was the worst kind of whipping that they gave anyone. The worst. There were several levels of whipping, okay? They didn't just go up to somebody and just whip him. There were certain levels of it. This was the worst kind that anyone would receive. Anyone. And they did it for several reasons, but one of the main reasons was to absolutely humiliate someone. Because they would chain them to a post right out there, just kind of in this open area for anybody to come up and watch. Anybody could just watch this. And they would beat a man, a person, so badly, they would beat them more than they would ever even dream of beating any animal. It was horrible. It was horrific. It was so gruesome, so bad, that it was actually illegal for any Roman citizen to receive this degree of whipping. It was illegal. They could not receive it. It was only non 
Romans, and slaves. They were the only ones that received this level of whipping. And the whip that they used, it had at the end of each of these strands, they actually put these little balls, these metal balls, and these pieces of jagged bone on the end of this whip. And again, the Romans, they were known for their brutality. They were known to be very cruel, very brutal people. These are Roman soldiers, men that are strong. They, are, they, they, they love doing this. They loved torturing. They were known for their brutality. So when they were beating Jesus, when they were whipping him, these strong Roman soldiers were enjoying this and beating him as hard as they possibly could. They didn't hold anything back. Nothing. And each time that it would whip him, it wasn't like a normal whip that would just go across his back and just leave these marks. The bone and the, the fragments of, of these metal balls, they would actually pierce his skin. They would rip away at his skin with each beat, each lash that he received. It was horrible, horrible, very, very brutal. It was so brutal, in fact, that they, at some point, some men would not survive it. They would, this alone would kill them. This alone killed some men. Jesus Christ received 39 of these lashes. 39. And it wouldn't just take away that, that superficial level of skin. This was known to tear into muscle and, and expose bones, even expose organs at times. That's how brutal this whipping was. This wasn't just any normal gripping. Whipping. We, we've got to understand this. Again, this was so brutal that it was known to kill people at times. He was whipped from the top of his back all the way down to his legs. And he's chained to a post so he can't even try to like put his hand back to shield himself at all. He is completely at their mercy, at the mercy of these brutal, cruel Roman soldiers. And if that's not enough, after this whipping, horrible, brutal whipping that he receives, half dead at this point. They then take a purple robe and they put it on him. Now, for one, obviously this is very humiliating. Very humiliating. All of this is extremely humiliating to him. But we can't just stop there. We can't just stop at the humiliation. Okay, remember his back. Imagine 39 lashes. I mean, there's barely anything left of his skin on his back. Muscles, organs, bones showing. And then these brutal, cruel Roman soldiers go and slap this robe on his back. Can you imagine the agony that he was in in this moment? Just the pain and the agony. Then they take this crown of thorns, they thrust it on his head. It's piercing his skin and blood is just pouring down. And on top of all that, it doesn't stop there. They didn't, they didn't start slapping him. And when we read about these things, we've got to kind of invest some time and dive into it a little bit, okay? These weren't just little slaps. Again, I've said this before, Roman soldiers, very cruel, very brutal. These are men. These are strong men. They enjoyed torturing people. These aren't just little slaps. These guys are smacking him as hard as they can across the face. In fact, I wouldn't even, I mean, they would make games out of these kinds of things that was known in history. They would make games out of torture. So I can imagine them even like getting a running start and smacking him as hard as they could. And imagine he is so um, tired. So his energy is wasted. He can barely even stand at this moment, half dead. He can probably barely even raise his hands to try to shield his face. And it doesn't tell us how long this went on for. But it probably wasn't just a couple of slaps. 
probably went on for a while. So that is the beating, the flogging that Jesus Christ received. Let's keep on going in this story. John chapter 19, verses 4 through 6. Pilate went outside again and said to them, Look, I'm bringing him out to you to let you know I find no grounds for charging him. Then Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. Pilate, Pilate said to them, Here is the man. When the chief priests and the temple servants saw him, they shouted, Crucify! Crucify! Pilate responded, Take him and crucify him yourself, since I find no grounds for charging him. So again, Pilate several times is telling this cruel, brutal Roman governor, is telling them, look, there's nothing right. He's done nothing wrong. Telling them several times. He didn't even want to have him flogged. He was going to let him go free. The only reason he had him flogged and beaten like this is because they wouldn't let it go. They kept on demanding for more. So he has them flogged. And then even in this moment when it says, here is the man, here is the man, it's almost like we, can, we get this sense of pity from this cruel Roman leader. It's like, here is the man. Almost like, look at this pitiful guy. Look, he's half dead, just standing there being beaten so badly, and he's innocent. He's completely innocent, and he's told them this several times. Several times. The word tells us that he was beaten so badly that it was beyond recognition. He couldn't even recognize him anymore. That's how bad this was. But rather than showing mercy to Jesus, what did the Jews do? They scream out, crucify, crucify, even after everything that he has been through. The very people that Jesus Christ came to save are now screaming for his death. Screaming for his death. Let's keep on down to verse 16, John 19, 16. Then he handed, this is Pilate, handed Jesus over to be crucified. They took Jesus away, carrying the cross by himself. He went out to what, what is called place of the skull, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. In this scene, Jesus Christ is carrying this cross. And, and as we dive into that, we have to understand, guys, these weren't like a couple of twigs that were bound together or nailed together, okay? This is a very big cross, big enough for a grown man to be crucified on. This is big. This is heavy. They also have to put it in the ground, so it's long, very heavy. Jesus has been beaten so badly, the punishment that he got, just the flogging, was known at times to kill people. He is half dead, has barely enough energy to stand in these moments. And he's taking this huge cross, putting it on his back, and remember his back. It's just bloody. It is mutilated. And he's having to put this cross on his back, and the weight of it can barely even stand, much less move, and now he's having to carry this huge cross. It gets so bad, in fact. It gets so bad. John doesn't cover this, but all the other gospel writers do, that the Roman soldiers, brutal, cruel Roman soldiers, even recognize, wow, this guy really can't keep going. They, they didn't show mercy. And when you read that in the other gospel accounts, that, that um, this other man came along and they forced him to carry the cross, that wasn't the Roman soldiers showing mercy. They didn't show mercy. They were brutal. They were cruel. They would have beat Jesus all the way there if they could have, but they realized they couldn't. I mean, I'm wondering if what's probably going through their head. They're probably thinking, man, this guy might die on the way there. So they have this other guy come and carry the cross. The fact that Jesus Christ is still alive, is still moving 
forward, still um, has his wits about him, still continuing to walk to his death. This just screams to us just the sheer determination that he had, the determination to accomplish his mission no matter what. No matter what happened, Jesus Christ was going to accomplish his mission. What was his mission? To die for you and for me. He had us on his mind, and nothing was going to stop him from accomplishing this mission. And that physical fight that Jesus is going through, as he's willing his body to go forward, just sheer determination, willing, when his body is probably begging him to just give up in the moment, continues willing himself forward. Guys, the physical fight was probably absolutely nothing compared to the spiritual battle going on. And the text doesn't really tell us what was going on spiritually, but guys, we know in the gospel account that Jesus was tempted. He was fully God, 100%. Yes, he's fully man, 100%. We saw that. Jesus has been tempted. The gospel tells us this. He was not beyond temptation. He never sinned, but he was tempted. So in these moments, do not think for a second that Jesus Christ is not being tempted. He is the God of the universe that has been tortured so badly, he is near death. He has the power to just say the word, command a legion of angels to come down, wipe all the Roman soldiers out. One word would end everything. One word. And he's not doing this for himself. He doesn't need to do this. He's God. He's doing this for us. For some of the very people that are killing him. Don't think for a second that Jesus Christ was not in a spiritual battle in these moments. The spiritual battle was probably much, much more intense than the physical battle. But even more than that, the physical and the spiritual battles that Jesus Christ went through, nothing even came close. Nothing even touched the sheer horror of what Jesus Christ knew was about to happen. When he hung on that cross and he faced the very epitome of hell, which is separation from him. Nothing else came close to that. Knowing that that horror is about to come up. Again, Jesus Christ knows everything that's about to happen. We see this picture in the Garden of Gethsemane. That is what Jesus Christ is in gut-wrenching pain and horror about, in agony about back in the Garden of Gethsemane. He knew this was about to happen. So as he's marching up to that cross, he knows what he's about to face. And nothing else, not the beating, not the cross, nothing comes close to the horror that he knows he is about to face, the very epitome of hell. And then on that same cross, he's later going to be nailed to it and hung to it. And this isn't metaphorical or figurative. These are literal nails that they drove through Jesus' skin. They literally nailed him to the cross. And it wasn't through his, his palm right here. A lot of people think it was through his palm. See, if it was through the, it was through the palm, the, these bones and the flesh, the metacarpals there, they wouldn't have held. The, literally, the, the nails were the only thing that held him to the cross. And it's very gruesome to think about, but literally nothing else was holding him to the cross, just the nails. It would have ripped right through his hand. They had to put the nail right here between the ulna and the radius, these two bones right here. They put the nails right there and then also through his feet. And he's hanging there. No support at all except for the nails that were driven, pierced through his body. That is the only thing that is holding his body up. The sheer agony. Every moment 
on this cross was just sheer agony and torture. Every single moment, even to take a breath, was absolute torture to him because he had to raise himself up just a little bit using on the nails that were through his body just to breathe with every breath. It was horrible, and they had to gasp for breath. Because even through all of this, through all the torture, through, through carrying the cross, the physical battle, the spiritual battle, the horror of, of the epitome of hell, separation from the water, everything that happened to Jesus Christ, he never lost sight of his mission. Not once did he lose sight of his mission, which was to save us. And even more than that, through all of this torture, he continues to show compassion to people around him continues to be selfless and show compassion to people even while hanging on the cross let's check this out in luke chapter 23 verses 39 through 43 it says then one of the criminals hanging there began to yell insults at him aren't you the messiah save yourself and us but the other criminal that's also hanging there answered rebuking him don't you even fear god since you are undergoing the same punishment we are punished justly because we're, we're getting back what we deserve for the things that we did. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he said to him, this is Jesus talking to the criminal. Truly I tell you, today you will be in paradise with me. Even in the middle of Jesus' horrific torture, horrific torture, and he's dying for the sins of the world, past, present, and future. Even in the middle of all that, he still shows compassion to a criminal. He's still showing compassion even to a criminal. As like these criminals that were crucified next to Jesus, they were guilty. They deserved what they got. They deserved the punishment that they were getting. And guys, so do we. We deserve the punishment that we were due. Jesus Christ did not deserve this in the end every single one of us we are all a bunch of rejects misfits and outcasts that have been saved by god's scandalous grace every single one of us none of us deserve god's grace and jesus continues even through this torture to show even more compassion to the people around him in these moments while hanging on the cross let's look at this in john chapter 19 verses 25 through 27 to standing by the cross of Jesus were his mother, his mother's sister, Mary the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother and the disciple he loved, this is John, standing there, he said to his mother, Woman, here is your son. Then he said to the disciple, Here is your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her into his home. John is the only disciple out of the 12 disciples that actually made it to the cross with Jesus, by the way. We covered that last week. Because through the most humble, generous, selfless act ever known to man, ever will be known to man, in the middle of dying for the sins of the world, past, present, and future, for every Christian, in the middle of that, Jesus Christ is continuing to show compassion to the people around him. And his heart is with his mom in this moment. And what's important for us to understand in this account when Jesus is asking John to take care of his mother, it's, it's not because Jesus Christ does not have the strength or the power to end everything, to come off of that cross 
and, and to you know, comfort his mother. He's the God of the universe. He can do that if he wants, at any moment. It's because Jesus Christ is on a mission. He is on a mission to save every Christian of their sins, past, present, or future, including Mary, including her. But the only way that Jesus can accomplish this is by staying on the cross and by dying. That is the only way that he can accomplish this. But even through this act, while hanging on the cross in that agony, he still ensures that someone will be there with Mary even after he dies. Even through the most selfless act known to man, Jesus Christ is still showing selfless acts. Continues to show selfless acts, thinking of others rather than himself. All the way to the end. No matter what they threw at him, no matter how much pain, struggle, heartache, the spiritual temptations, the agony, the epitome of hell, he still continued to think of others, to think of us above himself. This is the God of the universe, guys. Our Savior, our Lord. My friends, this is God. He allowed himself to be stripped of his glory and splendor and instead put on our rags of shame and guilt. And in the process, he clothed us with his robes of righteousness. He willingly went to our death penalty in our place. And after suffering all of this, he starts drawing near to his death in those last moments of his life, the very, very last moments of his life. We're going to look at this picture to see what happened. John chapter 19, verses 28 through 30. It says, after this, when Jesus knew that everything was now finished, that the scripture might be fulfilled, he said, I'm thirsty. A jar full of sour wine was sitting there. So they fixed a sponge full of sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it up to his mouth. When Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. Then bowing his head, he gave up his spirit. There's something really significant about the last words that Jesus said on the cross. It is finished. See, back in Jesus' day and age, when someone owed a debt to another person, to another individual or a group of people, they were given what's called a certificate of debt. And on that certificate of debt, it listed out all of the debt that was owed to that individual or to that group of people. And people were just, uh, they were almost controlled, enslaved to the certificate of debt. Depending on the severity and the enormity of the debt that they owed, they may be working their entire lives to pay this off. They were enslaved, essentially, to the certificate of debt. But then when they finally got the debt paid off, what they do is they would take this paper and on that paper would be written the word tetelestai. Tetelestai, which means paid in full, or it is finished. It is finished. Guys, we had a certificate of debt that was hanging over our heads. It listed out all the sins, every single one of us, past, present, and future. And Satan had that certificate of debt dangling it over our heads. And he could point us and say, I own you. And he could point it up to God, show it to God, and point at us and say, I own them. And guess what? He was right. He was right. Why? Because the only way for that certificate of debt to be paid off was through our death through our life, and not just death in this life, eternal separation from God. That was the penalty. That is what was owed. 
Satan owned us until, until Jesus Christ, God himself in flesh, came down in the form of a man, ripped that certificate of debt right out of Satan's hand, your certificate of debt, my certificate of debt, placed it on his back along with the cross that was meant for us, went up to Calvary, and just before he breathed his last, the last words that he said were to tell us that it is finished. Your debt is paid in full. Your debt is paid in full. And then he died. The last thing that Jesus said, as there is nothing that you have ever done that Jesus Christ has not already died to cover. Nothing. He died to cover absolutely any sin, no matter how big or small it is. He who knew no sin became sin so that we may become righteous before God. Why? Grace. Why? Mercy. Why? Forgiveness. Why? Love. Love. That's why the very writer of this gospel message, John, can write in John chapter 3, verse 16, for God so loved the world. Let me tell you something. God doesn't just kind of love you. He doesn't just sort of love you. He doesn't just maybe love you. God so loves you. He so loves you. And we see this in what Jesus Christ did. Again, he did not have to do this. He didn't have to do any of this. He did this for one reason, one reason only, you and me. That was it. And the ripple effects of God's love are not only seen in what Jesus Christ has already done up until the end, until he dies, but even after his death, we can still see God's love for us. The fact that he so loves us. Let's check this out. In the last text that we're going to be in today, Matthew chapter 27, verses 51 through 54, which says, suddenly, the curtain of the sanctuary was torn and two, from top to bottom, the earth quaked and the rocks were split. The tombs were opened and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. And they came out of the tombs after his resurrection, entered the holy city and appeared to many. When the centurion and those with him who were keeping watch over Jesus saw the earthquake and saw the things that had happened, they were terrified and said, truly, this man was the son of God. This man was the son of God. Guys, this speaks to the fact that the very presence of God demands response. The very presence of Jesus Christ demands response. Even when his lifeless body, he has died already, is hanging on that cross, the very ground, the very earth cannot help but to shake but to tremble at his majesty. Even through his death, his power is so great that it causes the dead to rise. This speaks to the fact that Jesus Christ died. When he died, he willingly died. He willingly died. Death did not take Jesus without his permission. It did not take him without his permission. Jesus Christ willingly gave himself up to be beaten, to be tortured, to be humiliated, crucified, and ultimately he willingly gave him up, himself up to be killed. Why? Why did he do all this? The answer is in this text. We just read it when it mentions a curtain. In other translations, it calls it a veil, a veil. And the veil was in the temple. It was located inside of the temple. It separated what was known as the holy place from the most holy place. The most holy place was also called the holy of holies. This was the very presence of God dwelt in the holy of holies. So that veil separated sinful man from a holy, perfect God. No one was allowed to go behind that veil to the holy of holies except for one person. 
One person, the high priest. But even the high priest was only allowed to go behind that curtain to the Holy of Holies, the very presence of God, one day a year. One man, one day a year. But even then, he couldn't just go back there. He couldn't just stroll in and say, okay, here's the day. I'm ready. I'm going to go back there. I've waited for a whole year. No, there were tons of things. We're not going to get into everything he had to do. There were tons of things that he had to do. Tons of things that he had to do to prepare before he could go back there. And he was doing it to make atonement for the sins of all the people, including himself. That was the only time that anybody could go back into the presence of God past the veil. Because this speaks to the enormity of the separation that sin had caused between us and God. This wasn't God's choice. This was our choice when we invited sin into our lives and into the world around us, starting all the way back in Genesis chapter 3 with the fall of man. As this was the separation that we had. We could not enter into the presence of God until Jesus Christ died on the cross. Until he died on the cross. Jesus was beaten. He was torn apart. He was cut so that we could be saved, healed, and mended back together. He was imprisoned so that we could be set free. He died so that we could live. And more than just live, he died so that we could experience the very presence of God. Notice in this text when it says that the veil was torn, the curtain or the veil was torn. Notice how it was torn from top to bottom. So what we have to understand is this veil, it wasn't some tiny little curtain, some little curtain. This was a huge veil. It was huge, massive, tall, wide. It was thick. The fact that this thing tore at all was ridiculous. But the way that it torn, that was what was significant. The fact that it tore from top to bottom. The only way that this massive, thick veil could have torn from top to bottom was if God himself tore that veil. And when Jesus Christ said to Telestai, it is finished, your debt is paid and full, and breathed his last. When Jesus' mission was complete, God wasted no time, and he tore that veil that separated us from him from top to bottom. The mission was complete. Jesus Christ died not only for us to live, but so that we could actually experience the very presence of God. And as the writer of Hebrews says, we're now able to go boldly into the throne room of God. This is only because of what Jesus has done for us. Only because of Jesus. Here in just a moment, we're going to have the opportunity to do just that. We're going to have the opportunity to go boldly before the throne of God as we take communion. And in communion, this is something that, that is for Christians. Um, representation of the intimacy that we share with Christ. It's almost like we're renewing our vows to Christ, saying I am yours. Repenting of anything, just saying, God, I am all yours, Jesus, in these moments. And so, um, if uh, there, there are actually very strict warnings in the Bible, too, of, of not taking communion um, unless it's done properly. Um, actually, warnings of sickness and even death. So I want to encourage you, if you're not a follower of Christ, or if you are a follower of Christ, but um, there's some things that you've been holding on to and you feel like you need to stay, then that's okay. You don't have to take this. Okay? I just want to let you know that. But um, we're not, we don't have a certain system with this. There's not like a time schedule. This is intimacy between you and Jesus Christ. I'm not going to dictate how you do that. So what we'll do here in just a moment, I'm going to pray. And 
after I pray, I'm first going to ask the worship team to come up and to take communion. But whenever you are ready, I encourage you to pray whatever you need to do. Take your time. Whenever you're ready, after the worship team, you can come on up and get communion. The altar is going to be open. You can pray right where you're at. I'd love to pray with you. If there's anybody here that has never responded to the gospel message, anybody here that does not know Christ, has never submitted to Christ as Lord and Savior of their life, and you feel like God is, is speaking to you, convicting you of some things, and you would like to talk about that, I would love to talk with you. I would love to. I would encourage you, please don't leave here today without getting prayer, without talking to someone. If there's anything at all, I would love to pray with you. So I'm going to pray, guys, and again, worship team will come up. Take your time, whenever you're ready. You come up. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much. And the words thank you just fail Hey guys, first off, I just want to say thank you for joining us today for the sermon. And uh, whether you're somebody that's come to our church or you're somebody that lives locally, you go to another church, maybe you don't even live here. Um, I just want I just want to say first and foremost, thank you for joining us. And uh, I, I want to encourage you to, to respond in some way today because, you know, when we hear a sermon, when we read the Bible, when we, um, whatever it may, may be, the point of that is, um, for God to speak to us in some way, shape, or form. And so, if you are a Christian, um, you've been a seasoned Christian, you know the Lord already, then the way that we can respond is just by, you know, asking Him, God, what do you want me to do with the convictions that you're giving me uh, based on this sermon, the way that you're speaking to me? What do you want me to do? And then respond to that. Maybe it's an area of your life that you've been holding on to um, and, and you haven't been giving it to Him. And I want to encourage you to give that to Him and step out in faith. There may be if it's, um, you know, some unbelief that you've had and, and God has really convicted you of some things. Um, you know, whatever it may be for you, it's different for everyone. I want to encourage you to respond to God and, and step in His direction. And, and the other thing too is if, if you are somebody that maybe you've listened to this and you've never responded to that gospel message, you've never been, been impacted by that gospel message, but now something is happening, God is kind of stirring in your heart and in your mind a little bit, then I want to encourage you to step out in faith, respond to that gospel message. And throughout the book of Acts, um, Acts tells us our history as a church. 
uh, it shows us that you know what that response looks like so number one is to repent and this word repent all that means is just to turn from you know our sinful ways our sinful desires you know turn from making ourself God and all these other things in life God and turn to God and just give him our life um, and then on top of that response, after the repentance, there comes something else. And it's called baptism. And, and baptism is so key. It's so important. It's seen all throughout um, that book and Acts and, and the importance and significance of it. Um, it's the symbol of death to the old self and then um, birth to uh, this new life in Christ and we're, 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 uh, we die with Christ to the old self and we are raised with Christ to, to walk in this new life and it's a command from Jesus so I want to encourage you if you have made that commitment to Christ if you have stepped out um, and you are wanting to follow Christ then I want to encourage you to take that next step and be baptized somewhere whether it's if you have a local church that you want to go be baptized at I encourage you to do that um, if you don't have a church we would love to be able to celebrate that with you um, here but I encourage you first and foremost to do that to, to talk with someone um, to get counsel on what this means to seek discipleship as well so um, I encourage you to do those things. We would love to talk with you. We are praying for you. I want you to know that you are loved and you are prayed for. So if you're ready to take that next step in your relationship with Christ, um, and if you want to take that next step with us, then we, are, we, we would welcome you with open arms. And so there's some links that we're going to provide below for you. Uh, please check that out. Um, and again, if you, if you have any prayer requests, um, please contact us. We'd love to pray with you. We'd love to talk with you. And we're excited about taking this next step with you.